This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. And the final weekend before the NBA season starts. That'll be a big theme of the show today. Opening night at Madison Square Garden on Wednesday. Opening night at Barclays Center as well on Wednesday. Um, the NBA season itself tips off on Tuesday night with a couple of nationally televised games. And away we go. Of course, it's week seven of the NFL, a respite for the Jets coming off their biggest win of the season and their biggest win in years. A huge win for the Jets, in fact, that I was here in this exact same spot a week ago saying that if you are the Jets and you look at the schedule in, you know, small chunks, small increments, which I have always liked to do, which not everybody likes to do, which I certainly understand, but I like to do it. And I said, starting last week with that Phillies game against the Eagles, if you could somehow figure out a way to win three of your next four games against the Eagles and then after the bye week at the Giants against the Chargers on Monday night and then finally in Las Vegas against the Raiders, if you could go three and one during those four games, well, then you could really have a season. And look, the, the Aaron Rodgers talk about possibly coming back, as I said last week, that that that's fun to talk about and it's – I don't even know if it's fun, and I don't even know if it's interesting. But people like to talk about it because, number one, it's Aaron Rodgers. Um, and number two, if it actually does come to fruition, Rodgers coming back from this injury within the same NFL season, it'll be something that we've never seen before. So that's actually kind of cool if it actually does happen. But I'm not even talking about that. Just in terms of where the Jets are as a team right now at 3-3, three and three, if you can get through this stretch during which you are now 1-0, and oh, winning three out of these four games, then you can actually have a season. You know, you win two of the next three games, you're five and four. The schedule down the stretch of the season is not overly taxing with games against teams like the Falcons, who, yeah, they're probably a little bit better than people thought, but certainly not unbeatable. The same thing can be said about the Houston Texans. The most interesting game for the Jets, and it's kind of heading in that direction if the Jets can continue to stay in this playoff picture in the AFC, is that Week 18 game on January 7th against who else? The New England Patriots, who the Jets haven't beaten in forever. Wouldn't that be something if their entire season came down to that game against the Patriots team that by then will probably be long gone from any playoff possibilities, yet maybe Bill Belichick's last game as a Patriot, one more chance to knock his old team out of the playoffs one more time? I mean, that's a long way down the road. For the Jets, last week was huge getting that win. If you need to win three out of four and you start that four-game stretch by – winning the most difficult game of that four, then you put yourself in a pretty good position. Now they get a chance to rest. We'll see what the Giants look like next week. You know, the Giants game on Sunday night in Buffalo, as frustrating as it was with the mismanagement at the end of the first half and not getting points there and subsequently having two chances at the win, with a second left in the game and not getting the touchdown on either one of those. As frustrating as that was, it was by far and away the Giants' most complete performance of the season. And I know that's not saying a whole lot. I mean, this has been this has been a miserable season for the Giants, as we know. But the way that they came out, the spirit with which they played, especially defensively. Look, the the offensive struggles are as disappointing as they are, they are more easily explained than what had been going on on defense because they have injuries all over the offense. You know, Saquon Barkley 
end of game two in the Arizona come from behind win when he was phenomenal in the second half of that game. He gets injured, misses the next three weeks. Came back last Sunday night, had a couple of huge plays in the second half. He seems like he's back. Daniel Jones injured in Miami, didn't play last week. Andrew Thomas, outside of Barkley, their most important offensive player, hasn't played in about a month. The, much of the other members of that offensive line unable to get on the field right now. The offensive struggles are easier to explain than the defensive struggles. And the defense was phenomenal, phenomenal against the Bills. That's a good offense. And that was a tough environment. And the Giants defense played that game knowing they had really no margin for error. They were playing and trying to support an offense that hadn't scored a touchdown in the two previous games. It's now three consecutive games without an offensive touchdown, as we know. But it was by far and away the Giants' best game of the season because you actually saw some good things offensively as well. Even though they weren't able to get the ball in the end zone, and despite the mismanagement by Tyrod Taylor at the end of the first half, leading to no points, and Brian Dayball giving it to him on the sideline as they went back into the locker room, the offense was able to move the ball also. So you actually saw some signs from the Giants. I mean, I was ready to come here today with egg all over my face because I said no fewer than a half dozen times last Saturday that there is absolutely no way that the Giants could win that game. And then they almost won that game. It would have been incredibly impressive. They competed. The, the way that they competed last Sunday night was unlike any way that they had competed this entire season. And I was listening to the K show yesterday. Peter Rosenberg made a good point talking about the Giants' schedule. Okay, the Giants have been so non-competitive this season that you don't tend to look at their schedule because you just chalk it up to this is a bad team. This is a non-competitive team. But if you actually look at the teams that the Giants have played, Dallas, opening night, they're 4-2. and two. These are the teams that the Giants have lost to, okay? San Francisco, they're 5-1. and one. Seattle, they're 3-2. and two. Miami, they're 5-1. and one. And Buffalo, they're 4-2. and two. Now, nobody's sitting here and saying that their record is a product of the schedule because the Giants weren't competitive in virtually all of those games. They were non-competitive against Dallas. They were non-competitive against Seattle. They were non-competitive against Miami. And I'd say they were borderline competitive against San Francisco. The only game that they lost that they were competitive in was the last one. So that's a good sign because they were depleted injury-wise and were still competitive against a very good team. You know, their five losses, Dallas, San Fran, Seattle, Miami, Buffalo, those five opponents this year are combined 21-8. and eight. All right? So what that means is schedules in the NFL generally tend to even out somewhat. Okay? And, and the Jets are going to find this too. I already alluded to a softer part of the schedule coming up for the Jets, beginning with the Giants game coming out of the bye. The same goes for the Giants. I mean, you have upcoming games tomorrow against Washington, and then the next week against the Jets, you go to Las Vegas. After that, you're in Dallas. That's obviously a very tough game. After that, you're back home to take on New England. Now, those five opponents, Washington, the Jets, Las Vegas, Dallas, New England— their combined record is 14 and 16. You take out Dallas. Let's give you a loss against Dallas because it's on the road. Dallas is going to need the game, and the Giants don't beat the Cowboys. Just like the Jets don't beat the Patriots, the Giants 
do not beat the Cowboys. So let's take Dallas out of that and just give you a loss. Against the other four teams, those teams' record is 10-14. and 14. So you have opportunities for wins coming up for the Giants. And the next two weeks, now am I going to bet money that the Giants are going to beat Washington? I, I don't think so. Am I going to bet money next week that the Giants are going to beat the Jets? No, the Jets are a better team than the Giants right now, even with Zach Wilson as their quarterback. But the Jets aren't at the level yet where you just chalk that up to a Giants loss. You know, you chalked it up to a Giants loss when they went to San Francisco on Thursday night in week three. You chalked it up as a Giants loss when they went to Miami two weeks ago. A lot of people, myself included, prematurely chalked up last Sunday night as a Giants loss. And if you put your money where your mouth was and did that, you had to sweat it out until the very end of the game. Giants covered easily, ended up losing the game in Buffalo. All right, the Jets, you're not sure. If I had to pick who's going to win that game, I'd pick the Jets right now. If I had to pick Giants or Commanders, who's going to win that game? I don't know. You know what? I'd probably pick the Giants because the Giants play well against Washington. They're the better coach team. And Washington is a team that the Giants can beat. And if the Giants play tomorrow the way that they played last week in Buffalo, then the Giants should win this game. So let's just take this step by step, okay? Because a week ago, I and many others had ended the Giants season. They had already become irrelevant. Spoke about it with Connor Rogers when we talked about the Giants' place in the league this year, how we're not even at Halloween yet, and the Giants are already irrelevant. Well, you know what? They changed a lot of minds last Sunday night with that performance in a loss. And you can call me up and say there's no such thing as moral victories. I'm not calling it a moral victory. All I'm saying is there were signs in that game last week that if the Giants continue to play that way against lesser opponents than the Buffalo Bills, then there are some wins out there ahead. And nobody in this wild card race in the NFC is running away with it. The Giants are, what, two games, two games out of a wild card spot, along with everybody else in the league, including the Chicago Bears who are a much worse team than the Giants. But for the Giants, their season is the next two weeks. If you can beat Washington, and then if you can beat the Jets, and those are not impossible tasks. Like I said, this isn't San Francisco and Kansas City that you're playing in the next two weeks. Okay? You're playing at home. The schedule has been awful. Primetime games, road games, Sunday night games, Monday night games, Thursday night games. Tomorrow is going to be the Giants' first home 1 o'clock game of the season. October 22nd, Giants fans who for years and decades, their Sunday traditions, their Sunday routines in the fall have been to get up, some go to church, pack up the car, drive out to MetLife Stadium, and you tailgate. You head into the stadium before 1 o'clock and you sit in traffic for a couple of hours after the game and you're home by 6. That has been tradition for generations of Giants fans. They haven't gotten to experience that yet this year. It sucks for the fans. It's also tough for the players because with those primetime games, as we've already discussed, come very good opponents. And the Giants have run into very good opponents so far this season. The next two opponents on their schedule are not very good opponents. The Jets are getting better. And again, 
in a vacuum. You tell me right now, Giants, Jets, next Sunday at MetLife Stadium, who are you picking? I'm picking the Jets. They're a better team right now. But it doesn't mean they can't be beaten. The Giants almost beat the Bills last week. The defensive effort was the best sign for me. Because offensively, it was great to get Saquon Barkley back. I know they weren't able to find the end zone. And by the way, and I know this has been discussed, but I haven't been on this station since that game last Sunday night. With an untimed down, and Saquon, and I know they went to Saquon with the audible at the end of the second quarter. Just want to throw my take on that last play call out there. When you have Saquon Barkley, you have to go down with your best player. He's your best player. And I know it didn't work at the end of the first half. You have the opportunity to run the football. You can run. You can pass because it's an untimed down. And it doesn't matter if you don't get in and the clock doesn't stop because the game's over anyway. I give the ball to Saquon Barkley there. He's your best player. He's your most important offensive player. If you're going to go down, go down giving the ball to your best player. But they they obviously tried the pass to Waller in the end zone. The defender for the second play in a row uh, interfered with him, and they're not going to throw a flag two plays in a row. So there you go. But offensively for the Giants, there is not that big of a drop-off from Daniel Jones to Tyrod Taylor. And I said that before the game, and it was proven in the game. Taylor moved the ball. You know, Taylor made that one egregious mistake in judgment at the end of the second quarter that could have cost them the game. You don't know how, if everything's going to play out exactly the same, but if the Giants get three points there, then on that last drive, they're just trying to drive for a field goal. I mean, look, the Bills would have played things differently if that was uh, a two-point game instead of a five-point game. So you can't say that if the Giants get three points at the end of the second quarter, then everything else would have played out exactly the same. That's not accurate. But the point is, Tyrod Taylor was able to move the team up and down the field. And I got to say, with this offensive line, and they were better, but I think a big reason why the offensive line for the Giants was better last week was because of Taylor. I think he, right now, is better equipped than Jones to play behind this offensive line that struggles so much. He gets rid of the ball quicker. He moves better inside the pocket. Now, Taylor's not a better runner. You know, on the designed run plays, he can run, but on the design run plays with Jones' running ability and his size, he's a better runner in those situations. But as far as giving yourself an opportunity to get rid of the football and not allow the pass rush to suck up your offense... I think Taylor's better equipped right now. He's got good, subtle movement in the pocket. He's more elusive in the pocket, and he's able to avoid the rush. And I thought he played well last week. Tomorrow, if it's Jones, if it's Taylor, I honestly don't think it makes that big of a difference. And that's a different story because what does that say about the guy who you just paid $40 million a year to for this year and next year at least? that you can sign a backup quarterback for $5 million, and when your $40 million guy goes out and your $5 million guy comes in, there's not that big of a drop-off. So this is it. This is the last stand for the Giants, okay? Tomorrow against the Commanders, next Sunday against the Jets. And it's so funny because we, we spoke before the season when you're looking at the schedule, it's a year that the Giants and Jets finally play each other. And in late August or early September, right ahead of the season, when the expectations for both teams were sky high. The Giants coming off of what they did last year, and the Jets 
presumably with Aaron Rodgers as their starting quarterback for more than four snaps. This date, next Sunday, October 29th, Giants home game at MetLife Stadium was going to be the most highly anticipated game of the season in New York. It's actually still, if the Giants win tomorrow, it's still a very big game for both teams. If the Giants lose tomorrow, their season is over. It's only a big game for the Jets and then the Giants, if they fall to 1-6 and six and lose to Washington tomorrow, I think they have to seriously consider trading off assets ahead of the trade deadline and possibly thinking about getting the number one pick in Caleb Williams, despite his poor performance last week against Notre Dame. But if the Giants win tomorrow, next Sunday's game is going to be a season turner for one of these two teams. So whoever loses that game, because... The Jets at 3-3, three and three, yes, they're in it. They've done a nice job treading water, but they don't have a lot of margin for error. They can't drop a game to the Giants. And then the Giants, their margin for error is gone. They've got to beat Washington. They've got to beat the Jets. They've got to win in Las Vegas. They've got to beat the Patriots. Like I said, I will give them a loss to the Dallas Cowboys. But if they can beat Washington and beat the Jets, and they're now 3-5 and five heading to Las Vegas, and they're not buried in the wild card picture in the NFC, that at least gives their season a little bit of life, a little bit of juice into November. And then hopefully they continue to get healthier on the offensive line. Hopefully their defense continues to play in a similar fashion that it did last week in Buffalo. But this is it for the Giants. Last stand tomorrow, and then if they win, continued last stand next Sunday against the Jets. Not a last stand next Sunday for the Jets, but I will say one thing, because you hear a lot of people now predicting that, put Aaron Rodgers aside, that the Jets are a playoff team now in the AFC. They certainly have looked like one so far this season against a very difficult schedule. That being said, the path to the playoffs for the Jets is very, very difficult if their record does not include a win over the Giants. All right, so we've got plenty to get to. Uh, we'll go around week seven in the NFL preview some interesting matchups. Um, we'll hear from Brian Dable, try and get an idea of the status of Daniel Jones. Also going to do a lot of NBA, some predictions. Tommy Beer, who does a great job covering the NBA, is going to hop on with me in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll predict our playoff teams, MVPs, things like that. And then this Emmanuel Quickly situation. I have some thoughts on that. Um, it hasn't gotten a ton of play. It's going to be a very... Very tricky next 48 hours for the Knicks with that 5 o'clock deadline on Monday looming to sign quickly to his rookie extension. And, of course, your call's at 1-800-919-3776. 1-800-919-ESPN. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. There is a chance that Daniel Jones plays tomorrow afternoon against the Washington Commanders at MetLife Stadium. But as I said before, for the 1-5 in five Giants, it's not the end of the world if Daniel Jones doesn't play. Jones, with a good, you know, solid foundational offensive line and weapons around him, he's a better quarterback than Tyrod Taylor. I'm just talking about, for this team right now, the way that it is put together and the way that this offensive line is kind of patchwork, I liked what I saw from Tyrod Taylor. That was the best thing I saw from Taylor last week. His ability to 
not get bogged down by the opposing team's pass rush to be able to get rid of the football. And that's something that Jones has struggled with this season. It's not entirely Jones's fault. I know we've said that over and over and over again. First and foremost, the blame lies with the offensive line. They're the ones who are struggling. They're the ones who are injured. That being said, we said for weeks that it wasn't entirely Jones's fault. Well, last week, you got to see how somebody else approached it. And I thought Tyrod Taylor approached it better than Daniel Jones had been. So for now, Taylor and injured Jones, I'd just as soon go with Tyrod Taylor again. You know, they played well enough to win that game last week. They were just playing against a really, really good team. And they still almost beat them. All right, Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. 1-800-919-3776. And let's go to the phones and lead things off with Dave in Manhattan. Dave, how you doing today? Hey, what's up, Pat? Um, I know I'm going to sound like, you know, uh, I'm a downer here, but I want your perspective on this, the Giants and the Bills game. I really think the Bills with their injuries, I really think that was a game where the Bills kind of played down to the level of their opponent. If they were playing a big-time opponent, they would have came out with a lot more gusto. Um, I'm not going to give the Giants that much credit, and here's why. There are a lot of teams. I'll give you the Texans, for, Texans, for instance, with a rookie quarterback. At one, maybe two or three games out of this year, they had four out of their five starting linemen gone mm-hmm. with a rookie quarterback. And they were very competitive in their winning football team with a rookie quarterback. And a lot of those veterans, if you read the article about that quarterback there, they have a lot of respect for that young guy. Daniel Jones and Wilson of the Jets – there's just too much coulda, woulda, shoulda. And, and I think the difference between the Giants and the Jets is about will. The Jets have faith because it's better coaching and there's more substance there. And so players who are hurt, if you look at the players who are hurting the Giants now, there are a lot of players in the NFL with similar injuries who are strapping it on because they have faith in the leadership. They're behind their quarterback. They're behind their captains. I mean, for God's sakes, the Giants have 10 captains. Like, you, I mean, there are players who are hurt right now where guys have the same injuries with other teams, but they're playing because they're all in. That Giants locker room is not all in, and a big part of that is giving a guy $40 million a year because he had a breakout year. So he has one breakout year, and every other year, which the exception of maybe his rookie year with 25 touchdowns, has been utter trash, and you pay him. And, and he's your leader, they're not behind Daniel Jones. I'm not buying it. Let me know your thoughts. Dave, thanks for the call. I, I think that's a, a little harsh. I, I, I don't look at the Giants and think that the problem is that the players aren't behind Daniel Jones. Um, the $40 million a year that he made, that's what the market, that's what it dictated that he would get. If, if the Giants didn't franchise him and didn't meet his number, and allowed him to become an unrestricted free agent, he would have gotten somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 to $40 million because he's early enough in his career that what you saw last year could have been the start of something. Now, unfortunately for the Giants, the first five games this year that Daniel Jones has played would imply that what we saw last year isn't the start of something. But, I mean, the last time that we saw Jones, and he got better and better as that season went on. And speaking with Jordan Renan, 
who covers the Giants for ESPN and has for a very, very long time, through a lot of bleak years. And speaking with him during the offseason, he made the point, he stressed the point, because it, it's easy to say last year Saquon Barkley was the most important offensive player on the team and the best offensive player on the team. As a whole, he was. But let's break last year down into the first half and the second half of the season. And this was Jordan's point. The second half of last season, and you can go look this up, unquestionably, the Giants' best offensive player was Daniel Jones. He perf- as he lost more weapons. You know, Kenny Galladay, supposed to be a number one wide receiver, ultimately couldn't catch the ball, buried on the bench. He was out of the rotation. Wandell Robinson, who Jones had just started to form a chemistry with last season, he got injured and he was lost for the season. Sterling Shepard was lost early for the entire season. The more weapons Daniel Jones lost last year, the better he played. That was for real. Like, that was a real thing. And then it all came to a a crest. This isn't the last time we saw Jones. This is the last time we saw Jones win a game in Minnesota in the wild card round. 24 for 35 for 301 yards and two touchdowns, 17 carries for 78 yards. He became the first player ever with 300 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, and at least 70 yards rushing in a playoff game. He was dominant. He was the best player on a field that included Saquon Barkley, that included Justin Jefferson, that included Kirk Cousins coming off of a monster year. Daniel Jones outshined all of them. What we saw last year from Daniel Jones happened. And because of that, if he hit the open market this offseason and was an unrestricted free agent, would they have gone exactly to 40? I don't know. Maybe. They definitely would have gone to at least $35 million. That's what the market is for quarterbacks. Is it skewed? Yeah, but... All right, let's look at one of the games coming up this weekend as an example, the Raiders against the Bears. And these are, by the way, two quarterbacks who aren't even high-level quarterbacks. I think Justin Fields, anybody who's listened to me, knows that I think he's a terrible NFL quarterback. Uh, And Jimmy Garoppolo wins games throughout his career. He's been on good teams, but he's by no means an upper echelon guy at that position. Fields is out. Uh, A rookie named Tyson Badgett is starting for the Chicago Bears tomorrow. He went to a Division II college, Shepherd College. Don't even know where that is. He's starting for the Bears tomorrow. Jimmy Garoppolo's out with a back injury, and Brian Hoyer is starting. Brian Hoyer is about 49 years old or thereabouts. All right, that's what is out there as starting quarterbacks in actual games, not preseason games. Those are actual games. The Raiders are 3-3. Three and three. They're thinking playoffs. All right, so you look at the level of quarterback play that is out there, and then you can understand why a team would want to pay Daniel Jones coming off of what he did last year, $35 million. The line crumbling really from the very beginning, all right? That first drive against Dallas, and I went through it last Saturday, that first drive against Dallas to open the season up until the Andrew Thomas false start penalty, and then the bad snap, and then the block field goal. Everything else that came after that was a disaster. That opening drive was a thing of beauty. But from that point on, Daniel Jones has been running for his life this entire season. So it's hard to judge him, and it's hard for me to say that because he got $40 million, which in this league is considered market value, 
that he has lost the locker room, that he's not a leader. The system is screwed up. Jones didn't screw up the system. He's not the only one benefiting from it. 1-800-919-3776. Lots more to get to. Pat O'Keefe with you till 6 o'clock on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Two and two start to the season for the Rangers. Kind of a missed opportunity. I know it's a new head coach, and they're obviously getting used to a new system. Um, Their first four games, their first four opponents, very winnable. Um, Looked at it before the season started, felt strongly that that should have been at least six points in the bank, at least a three and one record at Buffalo, at Columbus, and then coming home to take on Arizona and Nashville. And they looked as good as you could look in their season opener in Buffalo in that 5-1 to one win. And ever since then, a 5-3 loss at Columbus. They struggled but still beat the Coyotes 2-1 to one in their home opener. And then the other night at Madison Square Garden against the Nashville team that was off to a pretty shaky start, Rangers lose that one 4-1. to one. So they're out west. Beginning of a Western road trip. They'll try to get on track tonight. Seattle, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, Winnipeg. Not an easy road trip over the next week and a half. But you know what? You only got to make it once. So not the worst thing to get it out of the way very early in the schedule. All right, let's go back to the phones. Let's check in with Manny and Flushing. Manny, how you doing? What's, what's up? What's, what's up? How you doing? I'm good, Manny. How you been? I'm good. I'm good, man. Can't wait. Can't wait for you. To, um, listen, shout out to you and you're doing it with BS12, but also good luck with you with the Knicks pregame this season. I can't wait for an anticipated Knicks season. Okay. I can't wait for it either, Manny. Thanks very much. Yes, I want to talk about the Giants. Look, I don't think um, Daniel Jones is the problem. The problem is the Giants signed him because what he did last year. But what about the years? But not, but not the years before. And I think why the Giants have been struggling because people expect Daniel Jones to go, um, be in a, um, going to take another level, but he's not. And also the injuries, particularly um, Saquon Barkley, who was also, who's also trying to get a contract. And now I heard that he doesn't want to be traded. And, and recently, just minutes ago, just an hour ago, Giants announced that they ain't going to shop him. I mean, honestly, the Giants have been disappointed, um, having the most disappointing teams in the NFL as of late. And, and now people are talking, and now there are rumors that some people are questioning about Brian Gable's job status, which I think is absurd, because, like, last time I checked, he won coach of the year. He guides you to the playoffs, something that you had uh, at one of playoff games, something you had since you last won a Super Bowl. In a way, the Giants reminds you of the Knicks from two years ago. Remember the year after they won 41 yep. out of those 72 games? They kind of regress, winning four games less, and end up missing the playoffs, let alone playing. And the Giants, in my opinion, are, are, are in a way they remind me of the Knicks in that point. It's a good call, Manny, and thanks for the call. It has, there are some similarities. Now, this has potential to be that for the Giants. A couple of things about that Knicks season, and that was Thibodeau's second year. He came in. Uh, it was a 72-game season. They went to the first round of the playoffs. They lost in five to the Hawks. And then they felt like, because of their playoff performance against Atlanta, Leon Rose and Scott Perry and the decision-makers for the Knicks felt they needed more offense. And they brought in Kemba Walker, and they brought in um, Evan Fournier as free agents. They re-signed Derrick Rose. They re-signed Alec Burks. They re-signed Nerlens Noel. And those moves didn't didn't work out were, uh, excuse me did not work out and, and and they regressed as Manny just said now for the Giants as far as Dayball is concerned it 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 reeks a little of Joe Judge year two right now which you don't want to be the case now Joe Judge 
Remember, he didn't win Coach of the Year his first year. Giants went six and ten. They also almost won the division at six and ten. Remember that last Sunday night game between Washington and Philadelphia when Doug Peterson took Jalen Hurts out of the game and essentially ended any chance that the Eagles had to win that game, and that vaulted the Commanders into the top spot in the NFC East. They went to the playoffs. But Joe Judge, his first year, kind of restored competitiveness to the Giants. And then year number two, Jones got hurt that year. Barkley was not himself that year. Um, And then every – actually, that was the year Barkley didn't play. And then everything fell apart. Everything fell apart. And, and, you know, it came to a crescendo in that last game against Washington where they had second and nine from their own one, and they did a QB sneak, and then they did it again the next play, and that essentially sealed Joe Judge's fate. Okay, so it turns around quickly. What you're seeing right now from Dayball is a little bit of that. And isn't it funny? Because, look, Dayball got into Daniel Jones last year. He did it the first game. Dayball was a fiery guy on the sidelines last year. But isn't it funny? Now you start to hear questions about, oh, do you agree with Brian Dayball's coaching style? All of a sudden, when you're 1-5 and and you're laying into your quarterback, walking off the field at halftime after your quarterback, who otherwise played well, as I said earlier, but in that moment made a bonehead play, a mental mistake that cost you points in an NFL game, all of a sudden... You get questions like, "Ah, do you agree with Brian Dable's coaching style? I mean, here he is, an NFL coach, having the audacity to yell at well-paid NFL players who get paid a lot of money. I mean, it is funny because if the record were reversed, if they were 5-1, and if they were 4-2, and in a million years you wouldn't be asking those types of questions. But you know what? If you're 1-5, everything is fair game. There was always the potential... And if you go back and you remember or you read any of the preseason analysis for this Giants team, there was always the potential that they were going to take a step or a half step back from last year. First and foremost, because their schedule this year is far more difficult than it was last year. The Giants had a very easy schedule last season, and credit to them, they took advantage of it. That's what the Detroit Lions are doing right now. They're also a good team and route to their five and one start. That's how the NFL is structured. You have a down year, you have a bad year, you get an easier schedule than the teams that finished in first place. And a lot of it is luck of the draw because every single division plays against another division in its own conference, and every single division plays against another division in the other conference. So you could get the. AFC North, where there's not a bad team in that division, or one year you can get the AFC South, which for 15 years has been the worst division in football. That's luck of the draw. It happens every four years. There's a different rotation. Last year, the Giants were the beneficiaries of an easier schedule. They played the AFC South. You know, in the middle of the season when they were really starting to struggle in November, who came to MetLife Stadium? The Houston Texans with Davis Mills as their starting quarterback. It was exactly what the Giants needed at that point of the season because even though they had not been playing well, that was an easy win for them. This year, it's the AFC East. That means the Bills. All right, well, you already lost to them. That means you go to Miami. All right, that means the Jets in two weeks. And that means the Patriots, which historically has been a challenging game. This year, it's going to be the easiest game against an AFC East opponent. 
1-800-919-3776. We'll get to the calls, some thoughts on the Knicks, and and plenty more as we take a look ahead to Week 7 in the NFL here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Let's go back to the phone. Subi in Midtown. Subi, how you doing? Hey, Pat. Just wanted to chime in on the football teams here. Um, As you can see, uh, both of the quarterbacks for the Jets and the Giants, they don't have the ability to read the offense if the O-line is not – considering the O-lines are just terrible right now. So in this situation, Zach Wilson, he had a play last game in the second half where Randall Cobb, he threw it to Randall Cobb, and then he could have easily thrown it to Garrett Wilson deep in the end zone. Uh, He missed that play because he just doesn't have the ability to lead it. Daniel Jones is the same way. I don't think he can lead uh, a check down fast enough or a deep ball to his receivers because he doesn't have chemistry there. So it's not like this is a... You know, this is a common issue in the NFL. Derek Carr is going through it, too. So it may take the second half of the season to find out if Daniel Jones is capable of returning next year. And I think that's what it's going to take, uh, finding out in the second half of the season. Because I think we know right now he's not an all-star or a pro bowler. And then regarding the Knicks, I think quickly, you can't give a point guard another big contract. You have to find a big man because you're you're figuring out with the NBA – it's all about the big guys with Wendayama and Holmgren. So that's all I got to say. Thanks for the call, Subi. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, Wembenyama and Holmgren, certainly the early returns in the preseason have been exciting, but they've got to do it in regular season action, especially Holmgren. Um, Wembenyama, I, I'm sold. <laughs> I've seen enough already. Guy averaged 20 points per game in the preseason, uh, almost a point a minute. He averaged during his first three preseason games. The quickly thing, and we'll touch on this next hour, the quickly thing is about to get very tricky for the Knicks. And it's interesting because I've had a lot of these conversations on and off air regarding the NBA about the center position. Because when I was growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, and when I came into my own as an NBA fan, the center position outside of Michael Jordan, of course, was the dominant position in the sport. I mean, you had... On any given year, Patrick Ewing, Hakeem Olajuwon, and David Robinson. One of them would be on the All-NBA third team. And then, while all three of those guys were still pretty much in their prime, you added Shaq to the mix. Alonzo Mourning was a highly effective center. So, I mean, that was an incredible time for NBA centers in the 1990s. And then, over the next 15 to 20 years, they kind of went away. You know, there were years where... Joakim Noah, one year, was the all-NBA first-team center, I believe. You know, and Brad Miller, if anybody remembers him, if you don't look him up, he won't look like an all-star to you. His numbers won't either. Um, He was an all-star center in the Eastern Conference because there was just this dearth of high-quality centers. And that's what made Dwight Howard so dominant during his prime because he was really the only old-school prototypical center and he was able to dominate everyone inside and now we're we're back right the last three MVPs have been centers Joel Embiid last year the previous two years Nikola Jokic the two years before that it was Giannis Antetokounmpo not a center but a big man who's basically seven feet it's a different type of center now obviously but the best player in the NBA right now was Nikola Jokic I mean, he was the best player on the championship team, and he was by far and away better than everyone in the playoffs last year in leading the Nuggets to their first-ever NBA championship. But here's the thing. 
The caller said that you don't pay quickly because you don't pay another point guard because you have to go out and get a center. A big reason why these centers, the Embiid's, the Jokic's, you know, I'll, I'll include Antetokounmpo in there, is because there's so few of them. So if you have one of them, it's great. But it's not like the Knicks, all right, I'm not going to pay quickly now, so I'm going to go out and get a dominant center. No, I mean, it, it, it doesn't work that way. You know, quickly is a really big part of what the Knicks have done lately. There's some holes in his game for sure. And a red flag for me with Emmanuel quickly was his poor performance in the playoffs last season, even before he got hurt. In fact, if you go back, and I'll do this next hour after the break, if you go back and look at quickly's two trips to the playoffs, when he was a rookie, when the Knicks lost in five to the Hawks, and this past year he has not distinguished himself in the postseason. But you've seen enough of quickly in the regular season to know that he's a quality rotation guy on a good NBA team, not just an NBA team, on a good NBA team, because he's been that two of his three seasons in the league. The caller also made a point about comparing Daniel Jones and Zach Wilson. What I'll say about that is Daniel Jones last year proved that with a solid offensive line and with a healthy Saquon Barkley in the backfield, Daniel Jones can run an offense. You know, he said he's never going to be a pro bowler. The last half of last season, if you include the playoff game against the Vikings in that time period that I'm talking about, even though he wasn't named to the pro bowl, Daniel Jones played like a pro bowler the last half of last season. Again, go look up his numbers last year. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFC the second half of last season. We started this year, and this is a big theme of mine, and boy, I was wrong. Boy, I was wrong. I have to go back and see who the answer to this would be. But I said at the beginning of the year, a lot in the offseason, said it with guys like Dan Grassa, said it with guys like Bart Scott, if you concede, this is before the season started, that in the NFC, Jalen Hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles is the best quarterback in that conference, who is the second best quarterback? Does Daniel Jones have a shot to get there? And if he continued the same trajectory he was on last year, I firmly believed he had a shot to get there. He's nowhere near the second-best quarterback in the NFC. Right now, anyway. We'll talk some Knicks when we come back on ESPN New York. 